Another big show for you this week. We're going to kick things off in week 13 of the NFL with the good, the bad, and the ugly. Then we're going to dive into the NBA's offseason, some of the moves that have happened, some that might happen, and what about the Lakers? What's the absolute best that could happen, but what's the worst? We'll then take a sneak peek at the GOAT Chronicles Part 5. We're doing team-by-team comparison, Jordan's Bulls against LeBron's Heat, Cavs, and Lakers. And then we're going to end it off with conspiracy. This week, we're talking Muhammad Ali versus Sonny Liston and the Phantom Punch. Let's kick things off with the good from week 13. The first one, and I'm as surprised as you are, is the Browns winning an important game, 9-3. and three. They've secured themselves a winning record. Yes, the Cleveland Browns. They played exceptionally well. Baker Mayfield looks like the guy that they drafted, and we'll see how long that can keep up, but you got to give kudos to them and what they've done so far. Number two, and listen. This one's going to hurt. It's going to hurt me to say, but I got to give kudos where kudos are due. And Aaron Rodgers, 400 passing touchdowns. He is the fastest quarterback to reach that. In fact, he did it in 193 games. He's the only quarterback of the seven who have gotten 400 touchdowns to do it in under 200. So he's the fastest to 400. He's also done it with the fewest interceptions, 88. So under 100, in fact, under 90. But he's the only one of the seven to have under 100 interceptions. Not Drew Brees, not Peyton Manning, not Tom Brady, definitely not Brett Favre or Phillip Rivers or Dan Marino. That's a big list. And none of them were able to do it faster than Aaron Rodgers or with fewer interceptions. So congratulations, 400 touchdowns to Aaron Rodgers. Lastly, and this one is fresh off the press because it was supposed to be a congratulations to the Pittsburgh Steelers for remaining undefeated. But as you know by now, they're not. So the last good is the surprising thing, surprising, I was trying, the surprising Washington football team, who not only upset the Steelers tonight, but also are able to really play some solid defense. They're getting what they need from Alex Smith and that offense, and they have been surprising a lot of people. In fact, the NFC East, which we all thought was going to be, you know, a five or six win team winning that division, is starting to show some life. The Giants beat the Seahawks. The football team beat the Steelers. So maybe there is some hope for the NFC East. And that's this week in the NFL, the good. When there's good, there's got to be bad. And this week, there was no shortage of bad. We can start by talking about the Seahawks, who who lost to the Giants, was a surprise and an upset. But... It was more because their defense has actually started to play a little bit better. That was their big, you know, issue with them the first 
part, first half of the season was their defense was not playing to the level of their offense. But in recent weeks, the defense has stepped up and almost as if the switch turned from offense to defense, the offense is stalled. And Russell Wilson doesn't look like the MVP quarterback that we were talking about the first half of the season. So let's hope the Seahawks, at least for Seahawks fans, can get it together. The next one, and this one, listen, I've been talking about Carson Wentz the bad all season. I think of all the quarterbacks who signed big contracts, this one actually might be the worst because I don't see much upside in Carson Wentz. He had an excuse the first few years of his career with the injuries, and maybe he's just never recovered, but he looks bad. And unfortunately, I don't think Jalen Hurts was ready to take over as a starter. But if you're the Eagles, you kind of have to. You got to see what you have there. And I think he should be started, although Peterson seems like a coach that's a little bit stubborn and might not make that change permanent. But Carson Wentz is looking bad. And the last one. And the last one. How do you start a season? And don't get me wrong. You're probably the worst 5 and one team in the NFL. But how do you start a season 5-1 and one and then lose six games in a row with that defense for at least the first four losses where the defense outscores your offense two out of the four weeks? And then once your offense gets going, your defense looks like a shell of its former self. Now, I know that there was a big injury. And Akeem Hicks, he stops the run. He, you know, when he's not in for the Bears, their their run stopping defense is 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 a shell of its former self. But to go five from five and one to five and seven, that's got to be bad. A few more losses, you might be in the next segment, the ugly. Now it's probably your favorite part, which is the ugly, and. There's a lot of ugly to go around, too. The first one is just going to be, you know, some of the coaching that we've seen has been pretty ugly this season. We've already had three coaches who've been let go of their positions. And we probably have three more in Nagy of the Bears, Lynn of the Chargers, and obviously Gase of the Jets, who should be let go. That's like 20% of the league's coaches that probably shouldn't have even started coaching this year. And that's ugly. Hopefully the GMs who've hired these people, these coaches, get what they deserve in the offseason as well. In the case of Nagy, for example, Ryan Pace, I haven't been shy about saying I don't think he's the right person for the job. He does not know how to evaluate quarterback talent. uh, And I think that's a big issue that, I hope the teams and the owners of those teams don't just look at these coaches, but also the personnel, the GMs, and the players that these GMs have put in place. Let's not forget, it was the GM, in most cases, that hired the head coach. Coaching, pretty ugly so far for some this year in the NFL. Number two, sticking with Adam Gase, the 0-12 Jets find a way to lose. And this time... The players are coming out and talking about it. There have been rumors and rumblings that the players have were questioning Greg Williams, defensive, the defensive coordinator, his 
play calling, especially on that last play to blitz, which allowed uh, you know that over the top, if you saw the play, touchdown and that last minute win. And it's, you know, when the players start questioning the play calls of the defensive coordinator, that's obviously on the DC, but it's also on the head coach. Um, you just got to do better, right? That's coaching, but that's a team at 0-12 that just, you know, they find ways to lose, which is ugly. And the last one, and this one's probably the ugliest loss of the season, maybe? 45 nothing to the New England Patriots. And no, not the juggernaut dynasty Tom Brady Patriots. No, the mediocre, okay you know, Cam Newton, we don't know what to expect from week to week Patriots. Dropped 45 on you? That's ugly. Let's talk some NBA hoops. Now, keep in mind, look for Through the Hoop, the newest show from the Sports Fluent Network, hosted by Aliyah Hassan. That's coming up in the next few weeks. But this week, we're talking NBA, and let's kick it off with one of the trades that's got me kind of scratching my head. And I know what you're thinking. John Wall for Russell Westbrook is as talent-wise maybe a good trade for both teams. But the reality is you're not dealing with John Wall from three, four years ago. This is the John Wall who's missed two years uh, of playing. And it's almost as if he'd been retired for two years, and you really don't know what you're going to get from him. Is he the same explosive, uber-talented John Wall that led um, the Wizards? Or is he something different? Is he injured? Is he Derrick Rose when he first came back from his devastating injury? And that's what you got to be afraid of if you're Houston. Right, you gave up something that you know. Right, it's a Russell Westbrook is a known commodity. He is super high energy. He is relentless. Um, he is going to give you a triple double every night. Yes, does he take some bad shots? Hundred percent. Is he a great shooter? No. But will anyone work as hard as Russell Westbrook on the court? And the answer probably is. No, I don't think anyone will on the offensive and defensive side. He can get boards. He lays out assists. I really just think he needs the right system slash coach to kind of direct him in a way where he can be, again, an MVP in this league, or at least an MVP talent in this league. I don't know what I'm getting from John Wall. So I kind of scratch my head when I think of that move because that's a big move. And now we're hearing reports that Harden is holding out or not reporting. So that's obviously the next shoe obviously is going to drop is where does Harden go? There is rumors, obviously, that they are trying to swing a deal uh, for Wiggins uh, and pieces to get him to the Warriors. Oddly enough, the Toronto Raptors, or should I say the Tampa Bay Raptors, have the Vegas odds, the same odds, exact identical odds that they had in landing Kawhi Leonard of Harden landing with the Raptors. So that would be interesting, although I don't see how he fits in, depending on what they send out um, with, you know, Lowry, Van Vliet, um, Siakam, uh, OG. Like, interesting to see how they would make that work. What are some other teams that we think 
would make sense for Harden. If you have an idea, send it to anthonyk at sportsfluent.com. Which brings me to the 76ers. And they've added, it's interesting what they've done, not just Doc Rivers, but they've added some shooting. You know, last year I talked about the fact that Embiid or Simmons need to go, right? Both of them are kind of not good, not great um, outside shooters. In fact, Embiid is a much is a better shooter than Simmons, uh, but he's a seven-footer that you don't want necessarily out shooting threes all the time because he is most dominant when he's inside. So I said, you need to break them up. You need to see what you can get you know, for Simmons or from Embiid, whoever you decide to build around in the market and then surround them with shooters a la LeBron and uh, Giannis, right? Both of those guys are phenomenal MVP players, but they always succeed and do better when they have great outside shooting. So instead of moving one of those two, what they did was they brought in Danny Green. Don't knock him for the one shot he missed in the finals. He is still, I think, a good a uh, really good three-point shooter. They brought in Curry, the wrong one, however, but still a good outside shooter. So they've started to surround Simmons and Embiid with three-point shooting. So we'll see how uh, Rivers is able to make that system work with, with those two guys and a bunch of shooters around them. So I think that's going to be interesting to see. The last thing I want to touch on is the Lakers because they made what everyone sees as some really good moves. And on paper, and if you just look at kind of most recent history, it they do they do look good. They got much younger, and they've got better shooting in Schroeder and Matthews. However, Schroeder's shooting, is it real? And that's the biggest question, right? He was a low 30%, below average three-point shooter. Last year, he shot somewhere in the neighborhood of 38 39%, which obviously now puts him in very elite company and makes him, you know, above, a well above average three-point shooter. But which one are you going to get? Was that free agent year shooting, right, playing for a contract shooting? Or is this the new normal for Schroeder? Now, you get a lot of other things from him, right? But he's going to, you know, is he going to want to run the offense? Is he going to take the ball or will LeBron let him, right, take the ball out of his hands? That's the big, you know, my big knock on LeBron is his coachability, right? He wants to be the coach of the team. He wants to kind of direct the traffic on the floor, which isn't a bad thing, right? We have a hard time kind of saying, well, is he a small forward? Is he a power forward? Is he a point guard? Because he kind of plays between all three roles. Will he allow a point guard like Schroeder to do that? Can Schroeder keep shooting? Wesley Matthews, good three-point shooter, above average three-point shooter in the last few years have struggled with his health, um, right? Has some nagging injuries. Is he going to be consistent enough in what they need? Is he an upgrade from Daddy Green? He's younger, 100%. If everything goes right, right, the Lakers should easily repeat as champions. They still have LeBron. They've locked him up for a couple of years. They have Anthony Davis. They've locked him up for five years. They now have good three and younger three-point shooting and probably better defense. So again, on paper, best case scenario, obviously they're repeating as champs as they should. But let's also not forget Anthony Davis, who averages about 66 games a season due to injuries. Now that's an average. Obviously some years are more than others. Can Anthony Davis stay healthy? Something that he hasn't done consistently throughout his short career. LeBron's getting a little bit older. Can he stay healthy? 
Worst case scenario, obviously, is one or two of those superstars that they're betting on, right, doesn't play um, the full season. We saw what happened to the Lakers. Now, granted, it was nowhere near the same supporting cast when LeBron was there by himself in that first year. They were fighting for a playoff spot, but once LeBron got hurt, they missed the playoffs. Can Anthony Davis or LeBron sustain that winning if one of them, you know, they've had a very, you know, them and the Heat have had the shortest offseason um, because of the quick turnaround this year. Are they going to be able to, you know, is it going to be load management or injuries? That's the worst case scenario, right? Worst So best case scenario, everything goes as planned and they repeat as champs. Worst case scenario, you're getting, you're not getting that three-point shooting that was, you know, one lucky season from Schroeder or the new norm. Wesley Matthews, Anthony Davis, and LeBron James, right? I'm less concerned with LeBron James injuries, the oldest of the bunch and probably the least likely to break down. Worst case scenario is they battle through some tough injuries and shooting woes. So let's see what happens with this year's Los Angeles Lakers. <laughs> this week on the GOAT Chronicles, our analytics MD, Malcolm Darnley, takes us through the teams, the Bulls, and the Cavs. He's gone through the competition, the stats, the numbers, the awards, and the accolades, but this time he's comparing championship team to championship team. We're going 91 Bulls versus 07 Cavs, 93 Bulls versus 13 Heat, 96 Bulls versus 16 Cavs, and the 98 Bulls versus the 2020 Lakers. So there's two judges on top of uh, Malcolm's statistics who will give you their opinions on which team was the better team. And you can find that on sportsfluent.com under blogs. You'll see the GOAT Chronicles. And I'll read you a little excerpt because I think it's fantastic for those that really want to dive into, you know, this Jordan versus LeBron debate because there's so many things that go into it, right? Their eras that they played in, the competition. Obviously, we look at stats and numbers. As I mentioned, you know, the awards and accolades. And everybody has their opinions. But this is the most deep dive analytical uh, view of the two. And we are at part four. There's It's a six-part series. So I'm really excited to look through it. So here's just a little piece of what he talks about. He says, as we compare some of the key rosters and teams both players played on, we have sourced two opinions to NBA experts to try and get their thoughts on whether MJ or LeBron had an advantage by playing with a better crew. Look for that on sportsfluent.com. Conspiracy. It's been over 50 years since Muhammad Ali fought Sonny Liston in Lewiston, Maine on May 25th, 1965. Yet we still talk about what is now known as the Phantom Punch to this day. Whether you're a sports fan, a boxing fan, or neither, it is something that makes you wonder what has transpired before and after and how real or fake was it? In an event that can be described as what the WWE and the professional wrestlers would strive to do today, they 
did this in 1965. And let me go the WWE angle for a minute. If I were to tell you a storyline of a wrestler who was somehow in trouble with the law or with some unseedy characters, and they had him throw a fight where the opponent didn't touch them or barely hit him, and he went down and was knocked out. And although the ref didn't count to 10, or in wrestling, count to three, the timekeeper rang the bell and called the fight. You would have memories and flashbacks of Brett the Hitman Hart and Shawn Michaels in Montreal when that exact same thing happened. And you would throw your hands up and shrug your shoulders and say, that's horrible, but that's wrestling. It's scripted. But what if I told you that this was a professional boxing match in 1965? You might be less likely to believe that there was a conspiracy. But here is what we know. Sonny Liston had ties to the mob. The mob and a lot of mob bosses bet a lot of money on Muhammad Ali to defend his title. It was his first title defense since changing his name and becoming part of the Nation of Islam. The Nation of Islam was very happy to have Muhammad Ali as their champ and being able to defend his champ. The mob was very happy to bet on Muhammad Ali and win a ton of money. So here's some of the things that we know. Endless replays and reviews of the tape still don't actually tell us much. It looks like Muhammad Ali might have landed part of his glove on the chin of Sonny Liston, but not nearly enough to knock him to the ground. He came in looking in shape, 215 pounds, just like he has on any other match. He was knocked down, he rolled over, he tried to get up. He actually succeeded at getting up for a minute and then fell. The ref was confused. Muhammad Ali, in fact, didn't go into his corner because I don't think he thought that he knocked him out. And then after conferring with the timekeeper, the timekeeper told the ref that yes, he was down for a 10 count and the match was over and Muhammad Ali won. Every bit of that sounds suspicious. The timekeeper kind of calling the match, the ref being confused, Muhammad Ali being confused, Sonny Liston's ties to the mob. This one's actually a pretty easy one for the team at Conspiracy that, yeah, we believe this was a fixed fight. But let's, let's finish by saying Muhammad Ali is the greatest fighter of all time, and there's nothing to say that if it wasn't thrown, he wouldn't have won anyways. But this was just a guarantee. You'll also hear tons of people tell you that they were there. The fact is it was one of the lowest big card matches in the history of boxing. Their money came from television. It was closed circuit to people watching on TV, but just over 2,000 people at the match. So if your grandpa tells you, I was at that match, eh, you might not want to believe that either. That's this week in Conspiracy. That's it for this week's episode of Sports Fluent. Be sure to check out sportsfluent.com and the Sports Fluent Network. We have 12 new podcasts, all available there. 
everything from basketball, football, uh, to wrestling, everything you need in sports. Also, our Fluent in Sports merchandise is live. You can check that out at sportsfluent.com slash merchandise. And until next week, are you fluent?